0: We are now listening to the september 28th broadcast of unity in christ this hour we have walking our talk grace upon grace and it's time to pray the bible first let's begin with walking our talk
1: Welcome to Walking Hour Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time.
2: A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hi, this is Alan Heller together with Polly. Hello. And we're talking about discipleship today. And certainly one of the characteristics that is part of being a disciple is to love one another. Um, That's, you don't need to get a Greek concordance to... (laughs) parse this verse, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's a tall order there. Sometimes we're not real crazy about some of the people that God put in our path, are we?
1: (laughs) Well, and sometimes love one another. uh, We heard early on in our walk with the Lord, love is action. Mm. Love is not just having warm fuzzies about people. Sometimes love means that you go and you help somebody move boxes (laughs) and you take time out of your schedule to bring meals to people or to drive their kids places or to do things that are maybe inconvenient or uncomfortable for you.
2: Well, and I think as you look at the New Testament, you're looking at an agrarian society, you're looking at disciples and Jesus who was in Roman times. I mean, they had no control over their lives. They could be killed for being a believer. I mean, it was a very real thing. And, and you and I have done a, uh, you know, we've been over to Nepal and Thailand and Laos uh, with our friend Chansaman, where it's life and death that the government doesn't want them to be in their country, uh, the, that the government runs the church. And being a disciple there is a whole bunch different than being a disciple in a cushy America.
1: That's true.
2: But even for us, it's learning how to give. First Corinthians 13 says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, God's love, never fails. Doesn't rejoice in the wrong, but always rejoices in the truth. And um, bearing all things, you know, that's a big statement.
1: Well, and in Jesus' day, when Jesus called his disciples, they dropped everything to follow him. The fishermen left their nets. uh, The tax collector left his tax booth. Uh, People, these men traveled with him in a group, they no longer had any visible means of support. And that's not saying that every disciple today needs to stop being a doctor or a dentist or a business person or practicing law or whatever it is that they do for a living. But they do need to make learning about Jesus and following his way, and His word, a priority in their lives. So it definitely involves a shift in priority and a shift in um, focus and sometimes in, in your friendships and in your activities.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, I am working with a couple of guys who are wanting to be disciples and The one fellow who is a retired businessman, and he's only been a believer for six months. He had a very radical conversion when his wife was suffering such depression that they just didn't know what to do. She lost a lot of weight, and he was just, his back was up against the wall, and he just said, God, if you'll heal my wife, I'll follow you. And that's what God did. (laughs) He healed his wife. And now he's a believer. And he came to our church and was part of the new members class and spent eight weeks there. And now he's memorizing scripture. And we're going through The Purpose Driven Life, which is a book by Rick Warren that sort of talks about the whole Christian life and is just chock full of scripture. And he's just so excited. He says, this is the highlight of my week.
1: You know what I love about that story, Alan, is that is that he said, Lord, if you will, mm. if you will do this, then I will follow you. And when the Lord did it,
2: he, he kept
1: him. his word. Right. He he said, all right, I will follow you. And Jesus, uh, the Gospels tell how uh, there were 10 lepers and Jesus healed them. And one of them turned back mm. and thanked him. And, you know, the numbers numbers aren't good when it comes to people really keeping their word and really following after Christ, after he does miracles in their lives. But I love that you have this man in your group who said, Jesus, if you will, then I will.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's great. So in the past podcast, we talked about what a disciple is not. And then we started talking a little bit about what scripture says a disciple is. And so we want to talk a little bit more about characteristics of a disciple, like what attitudes would you look for? What actions would demonstrate that this is a man or woman that wants to be a disciple? And we're talking in the context of practically, you know, in our own lives. And we'll we'll put in a little bit about what Jesus says a disciple is. But they're teachable, they're willing to listen, and they're willing to fail. And uh, John Maxwell has written a book called Failing Forward. And he said, in all my leadership training, in all my education, nobody ever helped me learn that failure was actually a good thing. And I would say the same thing. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I know anybody that's lining up to say, boy, I can't wait to fail in this business and go (laughs) bankrupt. Yeah,
1: but I I think about how You were a gymnast and Mm. I was a gymnast. And in order to learn any new gymnastic skill, you have to try it over and over and over again and and fail at it until you learn how to do it the right way. And anybody who's any kind of an athlete learns that, well, yeah, it's hard and you're not going to do it right. At first, you have to build up the right muscles. You have to get the right amount of flexibility. You have to practice it so many times. And then after you've done it wrong, all of a sudden it clicks, and now you can do it right. And so we're used to failing in certain areas of our lives, but somehow we don't want to fail in our walk with the Lord. And that's just, that's just part of it.
2: Yeah, we think in the spiritual area it's just supposed to happen uh, without any work, and uh, that's not—that's just not the case. So another characteristic, so teachable, you're a servant. Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. And again, in our American culture, Western culture, it's all about have it your way, um, i need i have my rights and i need to get what i want and so willing to serve uh in matthew twenty, twenty six through 28 it talks about how jesus served his disciple and philippians 3 talks about giving up my life and john three sixteen, the one of the most uh well-known verses that god so loved the world he gave his only son so god gave and then jesus gave and died um, died so that we could have life. So he gave his life for us so we could give our life to others. And so serving, somebody said one time, if I wanted to find out who a servant is, I just crumple up a piece of paper, throw it on the ground in the church uh, grounds, and see who picks it up. Then I know oh, that's a servant. Really? So and, you
1: know, in some cultures that is so totally against what what the surrounding culture teaches us you know the more successful you become the less you have to serve the more people you have under you who are going to pick up those pieces of paper for you who are going to pour your coffee and shine your shoes and um, carry your things (laughs) and uh, somehow that creates this Idea that I not only am I more important, but I'm somehow better than the next person. But Jesus said, The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So he has um, what somebody says, an upside down kingdom mm. where the, the servant, the person who serves best, rules the best.
2: So we're talking about characteristics of a disciple, teachable. They're a servant. They're faithful. 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about teach faithful men. So when you're choosing disciples, when Jesus chose his disciples, I-, I wonder if because they were fishermen, they were in routine and they had a discipline of just going out and doing their work and getting fish and coming back and they just did this over and over and over again and i wonder if jesus chose those fishermen because he saw their discipline in their work and he knew that they would come and be his disciples and do the same thing in a spiritual way so somebody who's faithful to jesus his word and making it his life's experience how do you tell if someone's faithful? Not everybody wants to be a disciple. Not everyone who, oh, that's so you know, true. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into my kingdom. So I know it by the behavior of the person. In other words, if I say, let's get together at 12 o'clock, they don't just not show up. Or they call and say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't make this meeting, rather than just not showing up. So they show up. I remember Rick Warren saying that somebody in his Bible study one time said, I'll be there in spirit. And he says, you know what that means? Nothing. (laughs) It means you're not going to be (laughs) there. You're not going to be there. So if you're not there, you're not there. Who cares about your spirit? (laughs) I want your body here and your participation.
1: Can you just your spirit hear what I'm saying <laughs> when, when you're not there?
2: <laughs> so faithful. Um, how did Mary, who helped disciple you, or people in your life, see that you were faithful, Polly? Well, or were you faithful at the beginning? Uh,
1: I was faithful, but I had a lot of wrong ideas My about. What? Well, I, th- I thought that if I understood something or if I, if I read something and I knew what it meant, that I was better than somebody that didn't get the same insight from well, reading you, the word. And you, of
2: course, graduated magna cum laude, and I graduated laude. <laughs> how come? You were the A student. I was the C well, student. And I and your knowledge puffed up. And
1: exactly. And I, I didn't realize that there were a variety of spiritual gifts and that some people were called to do certain things and other people were gifted to do other things. And so there, there was a lot that I had to learn. And for a long time, I kind of resented not knowing everything as quickly as I wanted to know it. And I thought, well, I, I really wasn't discipled, but mm. I really was. And it was just that there was so much to learn. And there was so much that I had to learn to die to. And part of learning to walk with Christ means learning to die to your own flesh. And, um, you know, there's only so much that can be presented to a person at once. And it takes time to get all the information that you need to be a Mm -hmm. disciple. So it's not something that's going to happen in a five-week course or a semester.
2: Right. So we're talking about faithfulness, that you have to be there in order to be faithful. You have to show up. And our missionary friend from Mission One, Bob Schindler, used to say, half of a missions trip is just going on it, is just being there well, that's and right. showing up.
1: And sometimes you need to have people who are, tr- I mean, you do need people who are tracking with you, who are checking up to see how are you doing in your Christian walk. And our society, we move around a lot. Uh, we especially where we live, I, it's, not, it's not the same everywhere, but we're pretty transient. And we lived in uh, one town for four years and uh, we got married and we moved across the country and we lived there for two and a half years. and then we moved. Phoenix, Arizona. And we've lived here now for quite a while, but even within Phoenix, we've moved around a little bit from, uh, from one house to another house and sometimes from one church body to another one. And after a while, it is the disciples' responsibility to seek out somebody to mentor them or to disciple them and to walk with them knowing I need some accountability I need somebody checking up on me I I can't do this all by myself
2: we're talking about faithfulness faithfulness to be there to show up to to demonstrate by your actions that you're faithful second Timothy 2 2 says therefore be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ and the things that I have heard from You have heard from me, Paul was saying. You are to uh, teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare and entangles himself with the affairs of his life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier and also anyone who competes in athletics just like you were saying before he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops consider what i say and may the lord give you understanding so he, he talks about a farmer who you know we've known farmers who they get up early in the morning they work until the sun goes down and they just work and work and work and work. They are faithful people and an athlete, as we had talked about before. And a soldier doesn't entangle himself in the things of the world. If he does, he'll be court-martialed and not be working there anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's about prioritizing, again, and, and making your walk with the Lord the most important thing in your life. And you were asking me at one point about... Uh, choosing faithful people. And over the years, I've had a few women in my life whom, with whom I have walked as mm-hmm. a, one who is discipling them. And I I've seen some of these women, <laughs> one in particular, who came to know the Lord and just absolutely fell in love with him. And over the years, I've seen her, I've watched her, talk about Jesus with her friends and bring her friends to the Lord. Yeah. And now her children are walking with the Lord mm. and their children mm. are going to church and making decisions for Jesus. And and that's how you know that somebody's been faithful when you see them passing it along to other people and to to their children.
2: And the truth is you don't know if somebody's going to be faithful right up front. No, you, you don't. It will take some testing and some patience. And we can talk about that later, that when we correct, it's with patience and sometimes endurance, because it, I mean, look at Peter again, the example of Peter, who was so impetuous, but he did go out and walk on the water and go to the Lord. But when his eyes came off of the Lord and went on to the, the fact that he was in the uh, out of the boat he sunk and uh so our disciples will have times of failure and we'll have times where they're not faithful if we can teach them how to be faithful then they will teach others also and so that's become the standard for me as i've grown older in the lord that it's not just these guys that i'm meeting with right now i think that's great that they're seeing all kinds of changes. But what I want to see is them teach others also. And if we can get to that generation, the third generation, and see faithful men and women being changed and and seeing them reproduce disciples, that's the goal of the Christian life. It's not just to have fire insurance that you turn or burn. Okay, well, I asked Jesus in my life. Now that's all I have to do, and, and I'm done with it, you know. And so we've been talking about attitudes and ways that people act as a disciple. They're teachable, they're a servant, they're faithful. They have a heart for God is our next one. They can't get enough of God. They're hungering and thirsting after righteousness is what Jesus said. And we'll talk about some more characteristics and attitudes in our next podcast as we talk about discipleship, the practical things of discipleship and what the word of God says and we all want to be disciples. Uh, faithful is he is, who has called you, and he will bring it to pass. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path into what it means to be a disciple. This is Alan and Paulie Heller, and we are walking our talk, and we hope you are too.
1: This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org.
3: of every song we could ever sing.
0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Milter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is The Wisdom from Below, based on James 3.13-17. through 17. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill.
4: So we are in the book of James. One of the unique aspects of human beings, there's a lot of unique aspects about human beings, but one of the tendencies and unique things about human beings is our... Um, ability to think highly of ourselves. Amen? Right? Look at me. Right? Now, we may not think highly of other people, which we often don't, but when it comes to us, the sky's the limit. Is it not? Right? We tend to think highly of ourselves. For example, don't answer this question, but if I were to ask you, how many of you consider yourselves to be perceptive? Again, don't answer the question. Now, we might be hesitant to publicly admit it, but privately, most people would probably, they wouldn't hesitate to go, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly persistent, right? And the irony, it's, it's always the most clueless person you know who thinks they're the most perceptive, right? Okay, all right, very good, okay. You know, we all have that one friend that it's like, they don't get anything, but they think they get everything, right? Do you have that friend in your life? No? Am I? Is that me? Are you guys, think, you're looking at me like I'm that guy. Oh my goodness, this is horrible. But listen, considering ourselves perceptive, isn't the only way and the only area that we tend to think highly of ourselves. Um, We think highly of ourselves in a lot of different areas. Let me give you an example. Again, don't answer this question, but do you consider yourself to be wise? Now, keep in mind, I'm not asking if you're smart. I'm asking if you're wise. The fact of the matter is that being smart and being wise are not necessarily one and the same thing, are they? I've met plenty of people over the years who are super smart. I mean, off the charts, Mensa, Einstein, smart, right? But these people lack wisdom at least from a biblical perspective, right? Biblically speaking, wisdom is defined this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One insight. True wisdom starts with a knowledge and a reverence of the one true God. Let me ask you a question. You can't answer this question. How many of you know somebody who is really, really smart but lacks a true sense of biblical wisdom, right? We all have people like that. It's like, man, you're so smart, but you deny God's existence or you won't um, come to him with that reverent, humbled heart. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because in our passage today, James begins asking this very question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? And he brings up this question because he wants his readers to be able to to distinguish between two very important things. And it's very simple, the wisdom that is from above and the wisdom that is from below. The wisdom that is from above and the wisdom that is from below. And so it is on that note, church, it is my honor to present to you the word of God this morning, James chapter three, beginning in verse 13. So hear the word of God. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, church, I present to you the word of God. So in the Old Testament, the word wise or wisdom is mentioned some 300 times. But what's really interesting is 100 of those references are in the book of Proverbs alone. Literally, we have an entire book of the Old Testament devoted to the concept of wisdom. Now, wisdom is very, very important. That's why God talks about it so much or has the biblical writers talk about it so much. Wisdom being so important that when God came to King Solomon and said, you can have anything you want, do you remember what Solomon asked for? Wisdom, right? He asked for wisdom. I mean, it's our dream, right? Who, is, who doesn't have the dream where God shows up and says, listen, you can have anything you want. What would you like? What would you say? Yeah, we, some of us, long life. Give me a long life. Or give me tons of money. Or death to my enemies, right? Some of you would. I might, right? As long as it's not me, we're fine. This is what King Solomon said. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. That I may discern between, listen to this, good, that is the wisdom from above, and evil, that is the wisdom from below, For who is able to govern this, your great people? What's fascinating is that God was so pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. I want you to listen to God's response. It says this, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, that's why I said those things, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, that is the wisdom from above, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. In other words, you'll be the smartest, wisest, you'll be the wisest man to ever walk the face of the planet. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor so that you, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. God is pleased when his children seek him for wisdom. As you all know, The Bible says that it is better to have wisdom than silver or gold. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Listen, if we would teach this one principle to our children in the elementary schools, in the junior highs, in the high schools, it would transform this country. Instead, we're teaching them just the opposite, right? It's he who dies with the most toys wins. It is consume and get as much money as you can. Store up as much wealth as you can for yourself. But if we were to teach this one principle, it would transform this country. Seek wisdom above all things, not riches. Seek wisdom above all things, not gold. Seek riches above all things, not silver. Seek riches above all things, not a big house, not a nice car, none of that. Seek wisdom above all things. Like I said, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is devoted to, is literally devoted just to this concept of wisdom. But what's interesting is James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, remember what I told you, James is considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's considered the Proverbs of the New Testament because the book of James has so much wisdom in it. And so it's not surprising that James would address this issue of wisdom, and that's what he does in our passage today. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let's find out if you're truly wise and understanding. And so James, in our passage today, he makes things really, really simple. Don't you like it when things are simple? That's what I love about stoplights. It's green, red, and yellow. It's just that simple, right? It's just, it's funny. The simpler things are, the better they are. Well, James makes things really simple. There's two types of wisdom. There's the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. There's not a third alternative. There's not a third option. And this is very important to understand. There is not a third category of wisdom where we can go and meet the world and everybody will get along. There's not a third neutral category where we can go to as people and all just get along. There is simply the wisdom that is from above and the wisdom from below. And you're either operating from the one or the other. It is simple as that, James says. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And of course, today we are going to start with the wisdom that is from below. So according to James, the wisdom that is from below is earthly unspiritual and a key word here demonic it is demonic he says this this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly unspiritual demonic that is about as bold and straightforward as you can be james uses three very descriptive words to describe the wisdom that is from below and he paints a very vivid picture with each word the first word he uses of course is earthly by its very nature, the wisdom that is from below, it is earthly, it is worldly. It is the type of wisdom that originates in the minds of men and not the minds of God. It is the type of wisdom that originates on a speck, on a speck, in a speck, in a giant universe. It is the type of wisdom that originates in a speck, my mind, on a speck, planet Earth, in a speck, this solar system, in a universe that is grand beyond our that anybody can comprehend. This is the wisdom that comes from it originates here in this little tiny finite mind of man It is a carnal wisdom based upon man's very very limited understanding of things for heaven's sakes We're in the year 2019 and we barely have discovered parts of our planet We're still learning things about our planet, let alone the solar system, let alone the universe We know next to nothing and yet we claim to be wise This is what fallen man does. He knows next to nothing, yet he claims to be wise beyond belief. It is a carnal wisdom for sure. It is the type of wisdom, again, that exalts finite intellect and flawed reasoning and puts it on a pedestal above everything else. I kid you not. When I was an undergrad, I used to take summer classes to expedite getting my degree, which was in journalism. But I went to Diablo Valley College up in the Bay Area. Anybody know Diablo Valley College? So I went to Sac State, but I took summer classes at Diablo DVC, we called it. And I had a professor, I kid you not, so puffed up with his own intellect that he stood in front of our class and he said, there is no God, I am God. He said, there is no God, I am God. I kid you not. And he was dead serious when he said this. There was no joking in him at all. He was wise in his own eyes and as a result, he became a God in his own mind. He was wise in his own eyes and as a result, he became a God in his own mind. This is a perfect example of earthly wisdom. And because the wisdom from below is earthly wisdom, it is also unspiritual wisdom, which is the second word that James uses to describe the wisdom from below. It is unspiritual because it comes from the mind of those who are not filled with the Spirit of God. It comes from the mind of those who are not filled with the Spirit of God. They are the type of men and women that Jude talks about in Jude 17 to 19, chapter 1. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. You want to know what the wisdom from below looks like? It's people following their own ungodly passions. That's the wisdom from below. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, and here's the key description, devoid of the Spirit. Do you want to know why the wisdom from below is unspiritual? Because it is coming from men who are devoid of the Spirit. That is why. What is really sad is that many of the great universities, universities like Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Oxford... We were once distinctly Christian, being led by men filled with the Spirit of God. And yet here we are today with these same universities now under the solid control of people completely devoid of the Spirit, espousing an earthly, unspiritual wisdom to young men and women who do not know any better, naive young men and women who do not know any better. The type of wisdom, for example, that says to these young men and women that they are nothing more than the accidental byproduct of a universe that popped into existence from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. This is what we're telling our children. You are the accidental byproduct of a universe that popped into existence from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. As a result, we are espousing other types of earthly and spiritual wisdom. We are telling our children and these young men and women that there's no such thing. There's no objective standard for morality. That marriage is not a gift of God. Rather, it is a social construct. Marriage is between a man and a woman is simply a social construct and one that you need to throw off and overthrow. You do not need to obey. Marriage isn't a gift of God. It's just a social construct that others are forcing on you. We are telling our younger generation that gender is fluid. We are telling them that if they don't work hard, we will reward you. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, what does it say? He who does not work shall not eat. We are telling them to worship the environment, not the one who created the environment. This is the type of earthly, unspiritual wisdom that our kids are getting every day. And incidentally, with the ACSTO, the reason you want to direct your tax dollars to ACSTO is because you can support institutions that are promoting the wisdom from above, that are teaching Christians, young Christian children, the Bible, teaching them scripture. It's truly incredible that we can do that here in this state, but not wanting To be there to be any confusion about the wisdom that comes from below, James adds a third word. He said it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and then he adds this word, demonic. It is demonic. The wisdom that comes from earthly and spiritual mankind ultimately has its roots in Satan himself. And that is why I said there's the wisdom from above, there's the wisdom from below. There's no neutral ground where the people of this world and the the saints of God can go and get along. There's some sort of neutral wisdom that we can all agree upon and be happy about. There's not. There's simply the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below, and you're living by one or the other. And that is why such wisdom, that is the wisdom from below, is so very, very dangerous. You understand the wisdom from below, no matter how innocent it might seem at face value, is tremendously, tremendously dangerous. If it is earthly and spiritual wisdom, then it is harmful wisdom because it is ultimately demonic wisdom. Let me say that again. If it is an earthly and spiritual wisdom, then it is a harmful wisdom because it is ultimately a demonic wisdom. And that is exactly why when describing Satan, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him, none. You know the old joke, right? How do you know when somebody's lying? How do you know when Satan's lying? He's moving his lips, but that's the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. By the way, all of us have people or run across people in this life who are gifted at lying, right? It's like their native language, But the one who originated that language is here in this passage. It is Satan. He speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. It is Satan who's going to tell us that there's no objective morality, that marriage between a man and a woman is a social construct that should be overthrown, that gender is fluid, that you don't need to work hard and we'll reward you anyway. He is the one telling us these sort of things. And at face value, we might go, wow, these things seem so wise. And so there's freedom in these things. And We've never heard this before. There's nothing wise about these things. There's nothing wise at all about any of these things. But even though Satan is the father of lies, that doesn't mean he isn't smart. He's terribly smart. He's mensa smart. He's beyond mensa smart. He's beyond Einstein smart. And he's smart enough to disguise himself as an angel of light. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it should not surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Not only does Satan disguise himself as an angel of light, he is going to disguise his lies and make them appear as if he is speaking wisdom. Did you hear that? He is going to disguise his lies and make them appear as if he is speaking wisdom, as if he is speaking wisdom that is coming down from heaven itself. This is how crafty our enemy is. This is how proficient he is in what he does. And there's no greater example of this than when Satan lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan called into question the wisdom of God and presented Adam and Eve with a demonic alternative wisdom that led them to sin, correct? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Listen, when you're talking to someone and they begin their sentence with, did God actually say? There's a good chance what you're gonna hear is worldly wisdom, earthly, demonic, unspiritual wisdom. Did God actually say you shall not eat? Of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And listen to this neither shall you touch it. Don't even flirt with it. Don't get near it. Don't put your hands on it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Folks, do you want to know what the wisdom from below looks like? That's it right there. That's it right there. It's the type of wisdom that calls into question what God has clearly spoken. It is the type of wisdom that says, did God actually say this? No, here's what he really meant. Here's what he really meant. Or you know what? There's another way of interpreting that. Let's, let me give you the alternative interpretation of that. Satan did the exact same thing when he tempted Jesus. Satan took the word of God and used it in a way that seemed wise, even though he was full of evil intentions. And that's right. You can even take the word of God and use it in a way that is misleading and deceptive. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, being as wise as he is, said to him again, It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan actually quotes from Psalm 91. He quotes the scripture. He knows the scripture. And he seems to quote the scriptures in a way that appears to be wise. When in fact, Satan quotes Psalm 91 in a way that is deceptive and wrong. And folks, that is exactly why the wisdom of this world at face value often seems godly, spiritual, and good. When in fact, it is earthly, spiritual, and demonic. Because that is the gift that Satan brings to the table. That is the skill he brings to the table. He can take what is demonic and make it look like it is godly. This is what he does. He does it every day. He does it in our universities. He does it in our elementary schools. He does it in our churches. He does it everywhere. He takes what is false and dresses it up to appear godly, spiritual, and good when in fact it is earthly, spiritual, and demonic. So what is helpful is that James gives us two really good examples of how worldly wisdom can manifest itself in our daily lives. He says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly and spiritual and demonic. For where, and he says it again, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I don't know if you've seen this show. I don't watch it, but it's out there. It's the... Housewives of Beverly Hills, right? You're familiar with it. I think they have another one, the Housewives of Atlanta. There's another one, the Housewives of New York. There's Housewives everywhere. You know what this show is based upon? It is based upon women who are living their lives with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And we are setting these women up in our society as women of wisdom, women to model our lives after. Young ladies, look at these women. These are wise women. This is the wisdom that we are espousing to our children. Folks, when you encounter things like jealousy, envy, selfishness, self-centeredness, you are not dealing with the wisdom that comes from above. Such, you're dealing with the wisdom that comes from below. Such wisdom evaluates everything from a worldly perspective and makes personal gain life's highest goal. Did you hear that? Such wisdom, the wisdom from below, evaluates everything from a worldly perspective and makes personal gain life's highest goal. We are teaching our children that personal gain is the greatest thing that you can achieve in this lifetime. What do the scriptures say? It says just the opposite. But if you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. We are espousing a wisdom to our children that is just the opposite of what the scriptures tell them to do, to give their lives away, to surrender their lives, to store up treasures in heaven. These of course are not the only examples of how worldly wisdom will manifest itself. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. He wants to find them in a godly, good condition, but he's fearing that he's not gonna find them that way. And that you may find me not as you wish. They want Paul to come and have a good visit when in fact he might have to come with a whip and discipline them. That perhaps there may be, listen to this, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Listen, folks, the people of this world may think they are being wise when they behave according to these standards, but we as God's children, we know better. That is not the wisdom that comes from above. It is the wisdom that comes from below. And by the way, I like what James says in our passage. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, stop denying the truth. The truth is when you're selfish and jealous and petty and have anger in your heart, And you gossip and you slander. The truth is, you're acting ungodly. You're not acting wise. Stop denying the obvious, James says. Stop denying the truth. You can try to convince yourself that you are being wise when in fact you are being ungodly. There's nothing wise about it. Nothing at all. And by the way, we can look at the world and go, man, they're denying the truth. But the truth is, we can look in the mirror at times and go, am I denying the truth? Do I have petty jealousy in my heart or selfishness in my heart? Am I denying the truth? Am I in some way living by the wisdom from below in my relationships, in my marriage, at my place of work, or with my friends, wherever it might be? Have I adopted worldly wisdom in some way? Here's the problem. As believers, we are constantly being bombarded with earthly and spiritual demonic wisdom. You realize this, right? You were bombarded all week this week. All last week, you were bombarded with this, whether you knew it or not. When you turned on the news... You turn on the TV, it is there. You jump on the internet, it is there. You listen to the radio, it is there. You talk to people at the supermarket, it is there. That's the problem, here's the danger. That's the problem, here's the danger. The danger is, is we get acclimated to such wisdom. We get acclimated to such wisdom and we become comfortable with such wisdom. And little by little, and worse yet, we slowly begin to adopt such wisdom. We are told, what's the big deal? Why does marriage have to be between one man and one woman? Come on, that's just a social construct. And we are bombarded with this truth constantly to the point where we begin to crack. And our foundation begins to shake and we go, gosh, what is the big deal if two people want to get married? Here's the big deal. The God that created all things seen and unseen defined marriage as one man and one woman for life. It is a gift from him. Marriage is. And so we seek our wisdom from him even when the world tells us opposite exact opposite. But we are bombarded constantly, constantly. We're now being told that gender is fluid. You can be whatever gender you want. When the Bible clearly says that God made them male and female, the best thing that we can do is tell help people embrace who God made them to be and understand that they have a purpose for who God has made them to be in this generation. That is the wisdom that comes from above. But the wisdom from below is going to tell you just the opposite. It's going to say, do whatever you want. Do what is right in your own eyes. And before we know it, and without even realizing it, we are operating with a wisdom that is no different from the world around us. And it doesn't have to be on big issues like I just mentioned. It could be on little issues like how you treat your wife or how you treat your husband. We begin to adopt worldly ways of thinking, worldly wisdom from below. and says, you know what? Everyone else treats their spouse like this, so am I. No, you're not. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You love your wife, folks, Gentlemen, you love your wife to the point of laying down your life for her just as Christ laid down his life for his church. Wives, you be subject to your husbands as unto the Lord. As you obey the Lord, you obey the head of your household who is your husband in all things. Not with a defiant attitude or a bitter attitude. That's what the world will tell you to do. Not you, not me. We operate by different standards. You want to know what the great tragedy is, by the way? The great tragedy is over the past hundred years has been to watch churches an entire denomination slowly adopt worldly ways of thinking to the point where those churches aren't even churches anymore. They are just empty buildings now. Europe is literally dotted with one great cathedral after another that sits empty. I told you when I went there last year on the Reformation tour, we went to all these beautiful churches. They're state-owned now because no one can afford to keep up these magnificent structures that are built. I mean, they're magnificent you've been in these churches, they're magnificent, but they're state-owned because only the state can afford to keep them going. That means you can walk into one of these temples and see a Muslim wedding because it's no longer a Christian church. It is now a state-run building is what it has become. And that's what's happening here in the United States. What happens in Europe is going to happen here in the United States for sure. We are seeing entire denominations gutted. Why? Because we want to be liked by the world. We want the world to like us. And in order for the world to like us, we need to think like the world. We need to adopt their principles, right? This will get the world to like us. Folks, is the goal of the church to be liked by the world? No. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they crucify me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Why would we want to be liked by people who are devoid of the spirit, who do not have the mind of God in them? The mind of God is exactly the opposite of the world. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. The wisdom from above is exactly opposite of the wisdom from below. And folks, again, remember this there is no third neutral ground. There is no neutral place that we can go to with the world and all agree upon things. We're not going to do that. That doesn't exist, it's a fairy tale. There is the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom that comes from below. There is the wisdom that comes from above and says, there is one Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord over all, and in him is salvation. No other name under heaven and earth has been given to men. Save the name of Jesus Christ by which we must be saved. Amen? The wisdom from below is going to tell you just the opposite. It's going to say Jesus isn't the only way. The wisdom from above is exactly the opposite from the wisdom from below. There's no neutral ground, and you must stake your claim. You must decide. Am I going to choose to live with the wisdom from above or the wisdom from below? That is what is at stake, folks. So I begin with the question that James began with this morning. Who is wise and understanding among us today? In order to be truly wise, folks, you and I have to, with great precision, be able to recognize the difference between the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from below. It sounds easy enough, but our enemy is crafty. His skill level is exceedingly high. And he is going to speak things to you through different people, through different means, the TV, the radio, the internet. He is going to speak things to you that sound wise. He may even quote scripture. It may even sound like it's coming from heaven itself when in fact it is earthly and spiritual and demonic. Amen? Be wise. The days are evil. The opportunities are precious. As God's children, we must be discerning. Folks, there is too much at stake. There's too much at stake with our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. There is way too much at stake for us to be flirting with the wisdom from below. It's demonic, it's unspiritual, it's coming from the mind of men who do not know the spirit, do not have the spirit. Listen, if you're here today and you are in battle with the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below, if you are in a situation, maybe you're in a relationship, maybe it's at work or whatever, if you're in a situation and you're going, gosh, I'm having a hard time discerning, I get it. Sometimes when we're in the midst of the battle, it's hard to discern. What's truly from above and what's truly from below? Sometimes it can be hard. If you're here and that describes you today, I'll be up here. I'd like to pray with you. We'll have other people up here that would like to pray with you. Just maybe we can help. Maybe we can shed some light on what you're going through. Don't leave today. If you're in a situation where it's like, I just need some wisdom, um, we're here for you. Amen? Next week, we're gonna talk about the wisdom from above. It'll be a much more pleasant topic, hopefully. I won't, hopefully I won't yell at you guys as much. So, hey, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you this day and we are reminded of the battle that we are in. God, we are reminded that there is a wisdom that comes from you, that you have spoken and that is true and right and good and just and pure. And God, there is a wisdom from below that originates in the mind of fallen men devoid of the spirit that ultimately, Father, has its roots in Satan himself. Father, forgive us of the times that we have adopted worldly wisdom. Perhaps even this past week, we have fought like the world, maybe in a relationship that we're in, or maybe we treated somebody poorly, God, by worldly standards and not by biblical standards. Forgive us, God, for those times. God, we ask that you'd give us a discerning spirit, that you would make us bold and courageous in this generation. God, may we not be afraid of the truth. May we not be afraid of the wisdom that comes from above. May we stand our ground, even if the world hates us, and they will. But God, let us be bold. Let us be prophets to this generation. In the quietness of your heart, just spend a moment in private prayer. Bring to God any situation you're in where you could use wisdom, anything that you need to ask forgiveness for. Bring it to him now. Father, as we leave now, Make us bold. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name, our Savior and the church said, amen.
3: A strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and rain It's ringing in the skies Like cannons in the night The music of the universe plays We're singing you Join with the sound Come on, let's sing it out As the music of the universe plays
5: Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I am the Regional Coordinator of Moms in Prayer International Ministry in Arizona. What if you could change the world, not just for today, but for many generations to come? At Moms in Prayer International, we believe that a mom can be the single greatest force for good in the lives of our children and their generation. We believe that nations are changed forever when moms gather together to pray to our mighty God who can change a human's heart. Moms can make the difference for the next generation as they reach out to God in prayer. Moms just like you. Moms in Prayer International impacts children and schools worldwide for Christ by gathering mothers to pray. And our vision is that every school in the world will be covered with prayer. We would like to personally invite you to join us for this amazing two-day international Moms in Prayer Conference, Awaken Hope, to be held this October 11th and 12th at North Coast Calvary Chapel. Located at 1330 Poinsettia Lane in Carlsbad, California, you will experience worship that awakens, biblical messages that empower, and prayer that will shape the next generation through the power of overflowing hope. Registration is $60 for an individual and $55 per person for a group of four. It includes workshops, main sessions, Saturday lunch, and event materials. To register, please go to momsinprayer.org-events. For questions, please email me at prayforyourkids at gmail.com or call at 602-561-2778-8999. I really hope to see you there.
0: Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible.
5: Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I am the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. Have you ever felt shaken and pressed on every side by troubles, pressure, and the worries of the world? When you feel overwhelmed, how do you respond? Do you trust God or do you worry? Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 says, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The Greek word for worry in this verse is merinna, which means care, anxiety, concern, a part separated from the whole, and dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. From this word study, we can see the powerfully negative effect of worry on our lives. Since our Heavenly Father knows us and our needs so intimately, He already gave us the following word of wise instruction. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. The Hebrew word for cast is shalakh, which means to throw out, fling, cast them away, and throw away. The Hebrew word for sustain is kol, which means to hold, contain, carry, guide, make provision, comprehend, endure, and be present. When we leave all our worries and heavy burdens at the feet of Jesus, we will experience His loving arms carrying us, providing everything we need and holding us so we can stand unshaken by the power of His grace and everlasting love. The first scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. Do not worry, then, saying, What will we eat? or What will we drink? or What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The next scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My brothers and sisters, as we run this race of faith, let's look away from all that distracts us, but fix our gaze upon our beautiful Lord Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. Let's pray. Father, Your heavenly throne is eternal, secure, and strong, and your sovereignty rules the entire universe. Everything you do is full of splendor and beauty. Each miracle demonstrates your eternal perfection. Loving Father, we totally trust your heart of steadfast and unfailing love towards us. Your faithfulness is established in the heavens above, and your covenant of peace with us will stand forever. Lord, we know you're always with us, so we'll not live in fear, and our confidence will not be shaken. We leave all our cares, worries, and heavy burdens at your feet. Thank you for carrying us in your loving arms, providing everything we need, and holding us so we can stand unshaken in your abundant grace and everlasting love. Since we are surrounded by all those who have gone before us, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Help us to let go of every weight that slows us down, especially the sin we so easily fall into. Father, please forgive our sins of unbelief and doubt of your faithful promises. In you, we will be able to run this race with endurance, for the path has already been personally appointed to us. We will look away from all that distracts us, but will fix our gaze upon you, Jesus, who birthed faith within us and leads us forward into faith's perfection. You endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation because you focused on the joy that was set before you and now you sit exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, our hearts soar with joyful gratitude when we think of how you made us worthy to freely receive the glorious inheritance in your eternal grace. Lord, we will run this race with fresh passion and determination into your abundance so that we may reach the purpose and divine destiny you have called us to fulfill and want us to discover. We do have one compelling focus, to forget all of the past and instead reach toward the future. We press on to reach the end of the race for the divine invitation of reaching the goal and receiving the heavenly prize in you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. My brothers and sisters, today is the last day of this program. It has been my great joy and delight to share His word and to pray with you every week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.